Through the lens of loving local and seeing global, we obsessively search for people whose stories need to be told and how OKC played a supporting role. Hosted by Katherine Bexton and Emmy Cobes, welcome to Action City. It's 2021. It is. I can't believe we made it. I'm so happy. I was thinking that everything would feel a little differently in 2021, but it still feels it's the same. The same. It still feels the same, not in a bad way, in a good way, but it still feels the same. And it wasn't like, you know, at midnight on 2020, the world blew up and reconstituted itself. Here we are. The yeah. exact same world we were living in. Do you get six days as ago. annoyed as I do when people are like, new year, new me? I'm like, Yes, I do. I'm like, new year, same you. New year, same you. Like, I'm all for people bettering themselves. Don't get me wrong. But the new year, new me thing, I'm like, it no, never works. Have no. you ever met anyone who's ever stuck with the new year's resolution ever? I, I mean, no, I've definitely never stuck with one. I don't even make them anymore. I'm over it. I would rather ma- like I so not to talk about Emma and cleansing every episode, <laughs> but here we go. Here we go. Um, we did like a goal. She has these workshops where you can do your oh, goals. Yes. And we did one of those. And that was actually helpful because she like she basically set it up so that they were attainable and um, measurable and Jamie who I can't believe I haven't mentioned Jamie on the podcast before, but Jamie who owns Evolve Fitness, who has changed my life in my fitness exercise wellness journey. She also did this thing where you make like a month goal, a six month goal and a year goal. And it was wild. The last couple of years I've done it with her, I've hit them, but it's because they were like, you start with one and then right. the next one comes big, huge Harry audacious goal. No, it was a well, and it's not like you know that my one month goal was like to drink enough water every day, and then my six month goal was like lose baby weight, and then my year goal was to like fit in a certain size, and it it worked because of the step. You know what right. I mean? It's like it was it was a progression. As yeah, to a big. Well, we did that on Tuesday, the first Tuesday of every month. I have a I'm in this women's business group. It's called oh, the Posse. Yeah. The Posse, uh, and we I think there was like 10, 10 or twelve of us in the group, but. I couldn't go last January because I was doing inventory in the store, but I went this January and we did the same thing. We sort of rehashed what happened in 2020 kind of on a month by month basis, just like a little, you just jotted down a note. And then we talked through kind of what, what surprised us in 2020 that we, you know, that was positive. That we didn't think it was gonna be positive. What were the hard things in 2020? Obviously those were fairly <laughs> similar for most people. And then we did, we set 2021 goals and we kind of set the goals for 2021, but then we have to send her our 90 day sprint. So that's mm, kind of what yeah, you're talking similar. about is that you sort of lay out that short term goal, helping you get to the long term goal, which seems definitely more doable than a big resolution. Like, well, there are, I'm not going to eat any more sugar. Well, now that's unreasonable. Yeah. Or like a resolution. I can't remember some of the silly ones I've had in the past, but it's like, yeah, it's, usually they're not attainable in the sense of like, they don't actually, you can't do them for a full year. Right. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's funny, 2021, everybody's like, oh my God, 2020 is over. And it's like, um, all of our problems are not quite fixed. So no. we're, we're, we're getting there. We're working on it. Yeah. And I feel like that's like kind of what my pit and slash peak, they kind of are now sort of the same thing for this last week. Now that we're out of the um, podcast time continuum and we're in real right. time. We're in real time now. <laughs> um, thank goodness. But we had kind of a rough Christmas, New Year's. It's just everybody in my family got sick. Unfortunately, one of my family members members ended up in the hospital, but everybody's fine now, thankfully. And, um, that was definitely my pit, but then my peak was, I think the first time in my life I was able to 
look at my health and know exactly what was going on with my body. And I think that really stems from this year, 2020, us being home, really concentrating on health. Also, I've kind of been in this like exploration of knowledge where I'm not a reader. So podcasts and one of the reasons why we wanted to start a podcast is like, yeah, me too. I've really just loved learning new things on podcasts, like wellness, um, just any random sort of thing. And luckily news, I, get, yeah. I get most of my news from podcasts. exactly. And so I think for me personally, it was like, kind of what happened over Christmas and New Year's, getting ill, having my anxiety go through the roof again, kind of all of this stuff. I realized I had made a perfect storm of like internal and external factors in order to not be well. And I'm so glad that I I don't have to rely on a doctor, a therapist, anybody to diagnose myself. I, I, I literally can clearly see what happened. It's like my cortisol was through the roof. So my adrenal glands were going. So my PCOS kicked in. So I got cystic acne. So we had strep, which I had was on a antibiotic, which then also puts your cortisone levels. Like it literally was this like full circle of just, you know, eating sugar, drinking alcohol, eating, you know, carbohydrates, which also makes my PCOS like it literally You could see the full picture. I could literally see the full picture. And I think for the first time, and it felt, I didn't see the full picture. Was it empowering? Did you feel? Literally, I cried, which I, not to be dramatic, but it was like, there's just something so, so like, and I've realized that a lot of my problems stem from stress. And so it, it de-stressed me. Right. So now... You know, I'm doing another Emma cleanse. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm so jealous. By and the way. so I can kind of like knock off the pins, like, you know, the dominoes are falling mm-hmm. and I can sort of pick them up one by one. And then you can really isolate yeah. where you need to focus your energy. Totally. And so I feel really good about it. I don't know. I just, it, it was kind of one of those things where I like literally the last 10 days of my life have been a marathon. I almost just use the F word. You know what I mean? Oh, we can't. We don't have to bleep anything out. We're trying to not to be explicit. Job a little easier. Um, But so to finally like be able to have everything come to a head in the sense of like I understand exactly what's going on with me internally, externally, and I know the things to do to make it better. I think it's just like such a good feeling. Yeah. So I think that was my peak. It was just like it was like oh my god, I get it now. Yeah. And I think that for anybody that would be, it was just, I don't know. It, it was a really good feeling. So. Well, you're entering now you're entering 2021 with all of this knowledge. Well, I'm entering it. Perspective. Yeah. I think it's like all the hard work I've put in this last year. And I'm just, I hope I'm setting myself up for success in those. You are. Yeah. Well, I would hope so, but it's just. We're still going to have pits, but. Yeah. But I hope that. Next time I, you know, all of these like health things kind of come up, I can look at, I can figure them out quickly um, and just kind of deal with it better. I don't know. I hope that's not too deep. I just like. You're so mature. I didn't know any of this (laughs) stuff when I was 30. Well, I think honestly, I think listening to these podcasts and listening and, and doing research and I mean, being home, like having a baby, I feel like. Having the time. Yeah. Time for that. At least nap time. No, totally. Like literally last year I was coming home from the hospital with a newborn baby and I had a one, almost two year old. And so in this last year, it's like you, your health just becomes so important when you're 
when you're trying to recover from having a kid, you know, there's and you have to have the energy yes. to be with them and to raise them and well, to be engage with them and staying home from what, like, I mean, my kids were home like basically for, for months. And I just think you kind of learn like, okay, if I don't take my walk this day, if I don't do my on-demand evolve workout, if I don't meditate, if I don't drink enough water, if I don't eat cleanly, like, I don't know. I, I was getting kind of overwhelmed trying to like be my best self for a minute. And now I've realized like, I don't have to do that necessarily. I just need to make sure I'm doing the small things so that I have mental clarity. Yeah. And that's what this is. So anyway, it's taken me a lot longer to get there than it took. Well, I think it's, I think it's probably easier now to figure it out yes, because it, we talk about it more now yes. than we did when I was 30. When I was 30, nobody was talking about your anxiety, anxiety or your mental well-being or your or adrenal your, glands. No, we weren't talking about all that. <laughs> like they probably didn't weren't talking about the effects. And honestly, like women probably like I think it's like one in three women now has PCOS. I don't even know what that is. Polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's it. I I could do a whole podcast on it. I won't. Actually, you know well, what? Maybe we should. Maybe we, we should, should probably have, have Doctor Nanda doc- on. Yeah, Doctor Nanda on. Um, she's ugh, fabulous. I love her so much. She's my OBGYN, and she is just a lifeline for me. Like so knowledgeable, and she tells it like it is, which I like. She does she not does not mince words. No, There's... no. She's she is very direct, which I appreciate, and mm-hmm. I like in a doctor. I know some people like to be coddled a little bit, and not that she's not sweet. It's just not that's not her her brand her role, Mm-mm. right? But um, anyways, <laughs> that's, God, we really I know we kind of it out over here. We did, but I think I needed to talk about it with somebody. So. Unfortunately, well, so it's you and everybody here. listening. Us and <laughs> me and all the other people listening to this podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what was your pet and peak? Gosh. I mean, it's... We had Christmas Eve. You know what? My peak was really seeing was seeing my family. Yeah. I did miss my two sisters. One sister was in New York all by herself. Well, I say all by herself. She had dinner with friends. And so she had to stay in New York for Christmas. And then her 40th birthday was on December 27th. Oh, yeah, I saw that. We had been talking for years about what we were going to do for her 40th birthday. And obviously we couldn't do any of those things. So it was sad not to be with her and my other sister and her family. They were in DC. We normally don't see them on Christmas, but um, it was, you know, sort of bittersweet that we didn't get to be with them. But my brother and his wife came on two days before Christmas and my sister-in-law helped me wrap all my presents. Thank goodness. Oh, because nice. it would have been a total disaster. Cause you didn't buy them till the day before. Cause I didn't, <laughs> they, they sort of came in the mail that week. I did have a complete meltdown two oh. days before Christmas. I'm not going to lie at a full blown meltdown. You did. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was sort of cathartic to have the full blown meltdown. And, you Were know, you by yourself? Or no, you? I would let everybody have it. <laughs> my parents, my brother, my husband, my kids, everybody got the brunt of it. And I just, Christmas just builds up to this. Yeah. You want it to be perfect and you want it to be beautiful and you want the food to be delicious and you want the table to look pretty. I mean, I, this is, I think everybody gets sucked into it. Yeah, every I get year. sucked into yeah. that. And you know, I really, it's all building up to the Christmas morning breakfast with my family. We always did this as growing up. And I don't know if we did it on purpose necessarily, but we just always had breakfast in the morning on Christmas. And so I set the table, like you're going to set the table for Christmas dinner. And so we had dinner at my parents' house. It was delicious. My brother made dinner and it was 
really wonderful. He made these this something called potatoes on it. You know, I could talk about food all day. I know. I, and we it was like crunchy on the top and somebody did soft request we do like a our, our favorite food around the city podcast. Oh, oh so oh, we'll oh, have, I know. So we'll add episodes. that to the list. <laughs> yes, we'll add that to the list. But so Christmas morning, I always have croissants and I always mm. order croissants from somebody different in town. And so this year I ordered them from Signature Bakery. Oh. And they were really wonderful. I did almond croissants and regular croissants. I got the almond croissants for my friend Lee for Christmas, but then she ended up going to Crest Butte. So she didn't get them. So I ate them. <laughs> she doesn't even know that yet that I ate her croissants. So we really, we sat down and had a beautiful breakfast. And I just loved that moment when we're all at the table together. Being at the dining room table with my family is probably my most happy place for sure. So that was wonderful. And then on the day after Christmas, we left and we went to Colorado for a week with my husband's family, whom I also love dearly. And we spent the whole week with them and we got to ski and we basically ate and skied and shopped. So I really can't complain. Yeah. It was... was the perfect Christmas. I would give anything to go shop in Aspen right now. It was it was fun. There were lots of new stores that we had that we went to that we hadn't been to before. There was this hat what's designer the, Nick Fouquet opened um, a store. Oh yeah, that it was you could like customize these hats. I did not get one, but wait, not the um, is it not not Kimosabi? Yeah, not Kimosabi is much more of a Western hat feel. Oh, okay. But Nick Fouquet, I think he's from Malibu, some LA or Malibu, and so he opened a store and. It, it was I, I, what's that, was that great vintage store the bird or the, oh, the little bird yes so it's called the little bird i get emails from them all the time to send things from greta there but the little I, you know i've never been there really no i'm not a very good vintage shopper oh, I, I love there's a great you're so good at that you can go pick out pieces that, well i think like a i literally was telling somebody the other day that my whole wardrobe is greta sloan the real real or zara well, I, those are like everything that you need. It's fast fashion with Zara. Right. The real, real, where you can get all your designer things and Greta, where you can get like your contemporary real now things. So what else do you need? It's I, I don't know. I mean, but honestly, the real, real though, like they, I love shopping their stuff because I see things like years past and then I'm like, oh my God, it just popped up. Okay. I tried to even get onto the real, real. I couldn't even figure out how to buy something on the real, Okay. Real. I'll have You're to set have you to up. Me. So I get their app. And then on their app, you can create a feed. And so I have a new arrivals feed that's everything in my size. So I filtered it to be like a size 10. Can you, can you and then the shoes this? are size 11 because my feet are huge. I guess I just said my size I is mean, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so it filtered. So everything that they get that are in my sizes, it just goes on my feed. And then if I like something, I heart it. And then I wait for it to go on sale. Is kind Damn of my. This is a major operation. Oh, okay, I'll see if I can. It's so it out. fun to hop on. I don't go on. I probably do go on every day. I mean, let's not be. Ugh, yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, like, basically, I go on and then you oh. kind of look. And it's so fun because depending on what, like, you know, if I need a bridesmaid's dress or if you like, it's fun to shop with them and look back at the things that I've liked. Because then if I'm like, I have a wedding and I need a cocktail dress, oh. I'll go back to the things that I loved and see if there's one that I like has gone on sale or that I'm obsessed with. One day still. we're going to go to a wedding again where you might actually be a bridesmaid. We have so actually. many weddings in 2021 because they all got oh, pushed all from got 2020. Pushed. See, I'm, my friends are too old to get married now. Well, okay. I will say my other, I feel like I have a lot of peaks. I didn't have quite Oh yeah, sorry. Peaks. No, no. But I was just thinking my other peak was 
I on the day we got home on Monday, normally I do inventory at the store oh, yeah. and it's usually like me with Angela who's on Monday and we count everything at the store. But I was looking at the store and I was like, you know what? This place is a disaster. We have got to clean this place out. And so everyone that works at the shop, all my main people, plus Sahanya, our intern, all came to the store on Monday. We all wore masks and we cleaned out the entire store. When I tell you every single thing from the back room was sitting in the middle of the floor, I sorted through it all. Goodwill, garbage, keep. It, if you come to the store. Oh, I showed you yeah, yesterday. I was going to say, oh, wait, well, you, you showed Huffman. Oh, I showed Huffman. That's right. I was like, Huffman, would you like to see my clean back room? I saw. I, I think he cleaned he, out his playroom. You cleaned out the playroom yeah, well, I saw. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, see, my back room is like your playroom. I, it is it felt so great. And I've never had so much fun cleaning. Yeah. Having, nobody's ever at the store all at the same time. And oh, so to so have having your all team dedicated yeah. the whole day, we had the best time together. And I just, I mean, I hope they had fun too. I mean, I know cleaning isn't always that much fun, but I just loved having everyone in the same place. I'm sure it was me. fun for them. And I just, it made me remember, and I don't ever forget this, but it made me remember how wonderful the people are that I work with. I, It is top reason why I enjoy having Greta so much. So that was my other peak. peak. I love that. I know. Mm. Yeah. Organization so fun. I know. Now I'm going into 2021 with a clean store, reconciled inventory. I'm, I'm on it. I'm re- oh, and we're getting a new website that I, is launching next week. Oh, it's exciting. So. Okay. Well, we'll have that. to post it when it's up. Well, speaking of stores, did you see what I did there? That was so good. Right? God, you're okay. good at this, Emmy. Guys, we're, we're, we're becoming professionals. <laughs> Wait, but now I ruined it because I, I said it was... You called it out. Well, I next time you won't ruin it, but let's keep okay, going. Okay. Um, so I am excited to get to our conversation with Ben Knuckles. So Ben is one of the co-founders of Commonplace Books and is the owner of Commonplace Books Edmund. I'm excited for you all to hear our conversation with Ben because it's very intentional Um. And I think he has amazing philosophies on life, career, all that stuff. So um, please welcome Ben to Action City. Emmy, I know on the show, we talk a lot about all the places we love to go in Oklahoma City, all the shops, all the restaurants, the parks. One of the things that you have to have in order for those places to be able to operate their businesses is it's all commercial real estate. It's it's buildings and standalone locations that are owned by landlords that need to get those places rented out. Mind you, some people may own their own buildings, but some people need to buy and sell those buildings. Some people need to rent them. But how do you figure out what the best location is for you? When I bought Greta Sloan, all these people kept telling me I needed to move and I needed to get a different space. But there was something I really loved about Nicholas Plaza. So what I did when I bought Greta was I sort of listened to those people in that I thought I should look around and see what other spaces are available in the market. And so I called my friend Barry Murphy, whom I've known since college. He married my very best friend from growing up. And... So I've known him since I was 18 years old. So he was the first person that I called. He's in the commercial real estate business in Oklahoma City. He has been doing this, oh God, at least 15 years. He's an expert. He does office. He does retail. He does industrial. I called Barry. Barry 
took me to all the spots where I could possibly take Greta. And guess what he helped me figure out? He helped me figure out that Nicholas's Plaza was the best place for it. And I kept it there. So he didn't feel like he needed to put me into a building just to put me into a building. He really helped me answer the hard question of my business of where was the best location. And then from there, my husband is a lawyer and he has his own law practice and he likes to move around a lot as well. And so, of course, he calls Barry to help him with his office needs. And the most recent building that he's in, my husband is now in this building called the Barry Law Building. or the I think that's called the Barry Law Building, actually, down on at like 19th and Classen. And Barry Murphy helped him find that building as well. He helped him negotiate the contract. And he, my husband ha- loves this building. It's perfect for him. It's historical. He feels like right at home there. And so I just, I can't say enough great things about Barry Murphy. He works for Cushman Wakefield. I think if anybody's looking for somebody to help them with their commercial real estate needs, I think you should definitely reach out to Barry. His phone number, you can reach him on his cell, 405-297-9913. Or you can reach him on his website, www.barrymurphy.net. So I highly recommend him. So Barry, thanks so much for sponsoring our podcast. We love you. We're here with Ben Knuckles. We're so excited to have him on Action City today. We have been shopping at his bookstores for the past few years and are excited to get to hear the story behind his life and how he came to have Commonplace Books in Edmond. Welcome, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good morning. Morning. Good morning. So you grew up here. Yeah, this is home. This Were you is born home. here too? Yeah, born and raised. So which schools did you attend? So I was born, My, I'm one of six kids. Oh, Where wow. are you in the line? So I'm fourth. Yeah. Oh, so so that you're I've, the middle child. Yeah, I'm as middle, middlest as you can be <laughs> in six. And I've total like peacemaker i'm a middle child too yeah i'm like a peacemaker try to be the glue mediate everything same same like keep everybody happy yeah it's over it's a a tad overwhelming (laughs) it is and uh yeah all all of that that carries over into all of life Uh too right not just your sibling dynamics so yeah i'm i'm a recovering middle-ish child see i've just embraced it i just realized that that's like my personality yeah, I like it, but I also like always take on more than I should. Right? I always, that is the middleiest thing right, you could say. I own more than is mine to own, right? Totally. Like mm-hmm. I have to make sure my parents are good and I have to make sure my siblings are good. And when we're all in a room, I got to make sure there's harmony, right? And cohesion and God forbid there be conflict, right? Well, it's your yeah. fault. Oh God, yeah. Uh-huh. It's like, whoa. Well, but then it's like the one day or the one day in the five years you decide you're like, I'm over it. It's like the worst day for your whole family, I swear. (laughs) So I yeah, one of six born and raised here. My folks at one point, all six of us, well, eight, including my parents, lived in this little house in Bethany, Oklahoma. Okay. And so that's where we were all like born, I guess. Um, But then my folks built a house out at like council in 122nd in the early mid 80s that was a real country and it was like i remember weeds as tall as stop signs at council north Express expressway like in my 
in my mind's eye somewhere it's there. So that's where I grew up. Like, so I went to like Harvest Hills Elementary, Hefner Junior High, Putnam City North. Okay. PC North. Yeah. So that was my neck of the woods. So what was high school like for you? Oh God. (laughs) Um, It's funny. It's, it's funny because like, I don't keep in touch with a lot of people from my childhood for whatever reason. Um, big school, everybody scatters, like it's nice to see them, but it's funny because when I do interact with people from school, like they comment how they viewed me then the same way I kind of view myself now, but I, that wasn't my own experience, right? Like their perception of me was that I just kind of floated above the fray and didn't get caught up in the nonsense or the drama. And it wasn't like a, I'm too cool thing. It was just like a, this just is ridiculous, in, yeah, right? Like we all you. know this is ridiculous, right? <laughs> like, I mean, like, right. This is a really bad game right that we're all being asked to play it's like high school musical it's like i don't want i don't i don't want to play right so i think i played golf in high school so that was probably my saving grace because that's where i lived you know it was like the bell rang and i lived at the golf course till dark you know so that was so did you play hefner was that your course so that's where i kind of from like seventh grade on like that's where i that's where i live so my dad would drop me off in the summers, my dad would drop me off. Like it was the, the sun. The, the sun was not up. Well, my dad was in the office before like the sun came up every day, so he would drop me off at the golf course, and it was still dark. And he would pick me up when it was dark again. And so, did like, you caddy for people? Did you I wor- work? I, you I worked like when it was really fun because when you were a kid, they had this program where you could like just just vacuum and pick up and straighten things. You didn't get, you didn't get paid, but you got free golf. Like that was your compensation. So I did that for a few years. And then like, I started working in the, you know, the snack bar or whatever. And so I would just like work and play and play and work. And so you were just a fixture there. I was totally a fixture there. That's amazing. And I got this like you know, really bizarre, fabulous education from like crusty old guys who hang around <laughs> golf courses. Right. You know? There are like some regulars at that. Oh yeah. And back there. in the day, there used to be like a smoking room. Like you could smoke in the clubhouse <laughs> at <laughs> Those days. the golf course. And it was like no partition, no door, no anything. But of course there's a room that you can smoke because the, the smoke stays confined Did they to teach the room. you how to smoke all these crusty old men? Yeah. <laughs> And they used to have the old school cigarette machine where like you would like pump quarters in it and pull the little thing. Yeah. And here it comes. Yeah. No, there were a bunch of characters hanging around there for sure. So, yeah, I mean, so high school was like, I don't know. It was like it was a thing. I was like, you probably, wanted all the raging parties. No, I was probably scared to death of the world, you know, so I was probably moving through it rather timidly. And But having four older siblings, they didn't teach you, like they didn't give you a beer. Or... No, that would involve families actually talking about things though, right? We don't talk about oh, it. Exactly. Right, right? It was just like, you just like, you figure it, it was like, just assumed you'd figure it out and you'd navigate through life swimmingly. And I don't know, because. Because it was assumed of us, like we kind of did at the you same time, to. right? So yeah, that makes um, sense. It was yeah. just expected. Yeah. Did so, you like to yeah. read books? No, when you were I was not particularly studious or 
I'm probably a classic, I was probably a classic underachiever in a lot of ways. Like didn't put myself out there a lot, you know, just smart enough to like fake my way through school, right. With minimal effort. And so that's kind of what I did, but like, I was not a nose in a book kid by any stretch of the imagination. Like I played all the sports growing up. So that's what I did. I just moved from sport to sport. And then I didn't start reading books until I was 23. So like after college, I went to the university of New Mexico in Albuquerque. Um, I thought I wanted to play golf in college, got there and decided, nah, I'm kind of done with like competitive golf. I probably wasn't quite good enough to like enjoy it. So it just kind of felt like work and a struggle. Um, so I did that and then I came home and I went to OU and then ended up at UCO. So I just bounced. Like for me, I always say like, again, school was like, I was never that kid or that young person that could say, when I grow up, I want to be X, Y, or Z. Like, I just had this sense of like, I want to help people. Like that was as like defined as it was. So like I tried my hat at a couple different, you know, ways of helping people. So like through school is like, well, do I want to teach, you know, do I want to be a social worker or like a therapist, like a pastor, like, what do I, like, how do I help people? And so I was a elementary education major for a little while, which makes a little bit more sense the older I get. Cause I get likened to Mr. Rogers a <laughs> fair amount, but, um, which is great or terrible. I'm not sure. I think it's, which, I think but, it's great. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I, so as an elementary education major, and I remember this one class, it was the end of my stint as an elementary education major, because I had this probably 60 year old African-American lady who was a professor and it was physical education for elementary education major students or whatever. She was like very gregarious and outgoing and, kind of spoke in harmony and rhythm. And I was the only boy in the whole class. I was going to say, I bet your major had some cute girls. Well, but again, like (laughs) I moved through the world rather. I was, I think I'm still scared to death of women. So I certainly (laughs) was like, like that was like not an op, like in my brain, it was like, this is awesome, but it it's probably not the opportunity to me that it would have been for maybe other folks. Cause I was just like totally intimidated by the whole scenario. And so she didn't help that cause because I was only only boy in the class. She referred to me as gentle Ben oh. uh, in front of everyone. Um, and every, every class began with a Rod Stewart song. So we would like stand to our feet. She would play Rod Stewart and she would teach us like hand motions. Oh, sounds awesome. And it, I I, I, again, if I would have had like, if I wouldn't have been like so freaked out by everything, right. Like today I might've like hammed it up a little bit more. Um, but that was the, that was the end of of that. So, um, so after six years, it was like, how do I get out of here? Right. So you take the nearest exit. And, but I think what's interesting about that as I reflect on it is I I was never able to say when I grow up, I want to X, Y, Z. I always had a sense of like, I want to help people. Um, and so for me, school was secondary to opportunities to help people. And so from the time I was 16 or 17, I always had this like 
strangely unique set of opportunities that were given to me. Like I never really functioned like a teenager or a 20 something. Like I was always the youngest person in the room in just about every regard. So it's like as an 18 year old, I was on the board at my church. Right. It's like, why, why, why did you guys let me in the room? But it was like, but I wasn't, so I wasn't doing 18 year old things. Right. Well, you've been playing golf with the 75. Yeah, that's right. It's the crusty old man factor. Years, so, right. Yeah. yeah. You, it's you uh, felt comfortable that yeah, way. No, I, uh, yeah. It's, it's the grandfatherly uh, part of me. So anyway. So you go to Colorado with your parents. Yeah. New Mexico. Or sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Mexico. But then you make your way to Colorado. Yeah. So I ended, I came home, did school. And then um, took a position at a church in Colorado Springs um, for a few years. And I had never really experienced anything like that before. So, again, in this, like, I want to help people thing, like, I was like. What was the position? Um, it was this kind of leadership development. This was a large church, probably like ten or 12,000 people. Oh, my gosh. And they had, like, a really robust uh, internship. So, there were probably 100 college-age interns at the church. Um, And so it was a leadership development position where I just worked with college age students and I wasn't much beyond that myself, but that's what, that's what I did. Um, And it's interesting that you bring up Colorado because it's, it's a, I think as I kind of reflect on my own life, it's a critical season. I felt like when I moved there, it was a forever thing. And I processed it kind of that severely, um, which is probably melodramatic, but something you do in your 20s, right? Um, so I never really had any intention of coming back, not because I held Oklahoma City in in poor regard or ill will or anything like that. Um, it just felt like kind of the trajectory of my life was taking me elsewhere. But what was really interesting about being there is about six months in, I just had this sense of like, this doesn't feel right. And it wasn't that anything was going poorly. It was actually the, quite the opposite, like tons of opportunity. You know, I was a new kid on the block, but quickly kind of entered into kind of the inner circle of the leadership team of this church and the organization. Um, and I had like opportunity galore. Um, but as I began to try to put down roots, like I just couldn't, it felt like there was like a rubber mat, like just below the subsurface. Like, as I was trying to put down roots, like they just wouldn't take. Um, and so I guess I had the presence of mind just to stop and pause and go like, okay, I'm just going to like be here as long as I'm supposed to be here. And then when the next thing happens, like I'll be ready for that. So I tried to do the, like, wherever you are, be all there kind of thing, but also live in the tension of like, but I already don't have this, I already have the sense that I won't be here forever. So all of that to say why Colorado is important for me, because I was given an opportunity to go plant a church anywhere in the world. And as a, as an outgrowth of the church. Yeah. So okay. they had a sister organization that was helping people, you know, plant churches. So I had like funding backing, like everything. And it was literally like, pick a place you want to go. And as I began to process through where the answer was home and it was kind of like, Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> But you yeah. may never have come to that conclusion had you not gone to Colorado. No, it was like never ju- presented itself. Yeah, like it was that. just the distance I needed. So as I processed through, like, why do I feel like I want to come home? 
And it's honestly why I love kind of just the whole premise of your podcast is like, is because I realized I don't live in the place I want to live. Yeah. So I think I have like this kind of philosophy that I've latched onto is I think everybody ought to be able to answer the question, why do I live where I live? Whether it's a city, a neighborhood, a quadrant of a city, right? Like, I think we need to be able to articulate like, why do I live where I live? Because I think context really matters, right? Like where we do what we do really matters. And I think where informs why and what and all manner of things. So what was the answer to that question for you? So to me, I felt like there were like three things and it's while I was never able to say when I grow up, I want to X, Y, Z professionally, what I did narrow in on were a few things that have guided what looks like a very, um, like if somebody were to look at my professional life, so to speak, you'd kind of be like, hasn't it seems random like from oil and gas after school to a big church in Colorado to church planting to nonprofit work to you know now small business it's like it looks kind of all over the map but to me it is like a straight line of yeah consistency and continuity because I came home for three reasons. I felt like number one, more than a job, I want to serve a city. And it was like, but I don't know how to serve a city that I don't first love. And so for me, I put Oklahoma city and the surrounding areas, you know, now Edmond for me, um, I put it in that, like, I love it category beyond geography or topography or climate or culture. I don't, or, I don't know if we have any of that. Right. So <laughs> it's like it, 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 yeah. Yeah, it transcended <laughs> like it transcended like anything on the surface or anything, you know, you might write in a pro and con list, you know, for why you would want to live yeah. in a given place. So yeah. I just I have a deep love for this place and its people and a sense strong sense of call to this place to serve it in whatever capacity that I can. So that's been really the driving force of my life um, is to serve, serve this place. Um, And then, you know, the second reason I came back is I felt like there was a relational network of people that I was supposed to both tap back into and also build. And I would say that's another kind of defining characteristic of how I spend my days. And of course, how we spend our days is how we spend our life, right? Is to build a relational network and then leverage it for something good, right? And for sure, leverage it for something bigger and more than my own thing, right? And then I think the third reason I came home, and it's funny to even talk about this because this was so long ago now, but it's still very, very true. It's a good reminder to myself is that I felt like I had this tiny sliver of influence that I was supposed to leverage, you know? And so for me, it's like, I love taking whatever it is that I've got. And oftentimes it's little, you know, but leveraging it for something more. And typically that means for somebody else, right? So you go from the planting the church to nonprofit, you said? Yeah. And then to... Yeah. So kind of from church work to faith-based nonprofit work to just good old fashioned nonprofit work to then I like hit 
pause and kind of bailed on all of that and kind of reimagined what life could look like. Um, I think I typically sense change about six months in advance of when it happens. Right. And so. God, that's a superpower. That is. Well, I wish I could. Yeah. I wish yeah, I had that one. It's, had that it's funny because while I sense change, I also am bad at transitions, which is fun. You know, it's coming, but you yeah, can't. I know yeah. it's coming. And it's like, instead of like walking down the path, you know, um, I just jump or get kicked or you <laughs> trip. Know, trip or whatever. And it's like, oh, okay. There was probably an easier way, but let's just light the whole thing on fire and watch it burn. Right. And then we'll walk away. So how did the idea of commonplace come about? So I think for me, it was like six months and you were like, oh, something's well, going to happen. It was, it <laughs> was, kidding. it was, a, I think a function and byproduct of context, like we were talking about is, I moved to Gatewood, which is where, is my, grandmother, plaza? where my grandmother. Yeah. Grew. So yeah. just the, the historic neighborhood, just north of the Plaza District. Wait, what year was So this? that would have been 2007. So what was, what was that, that was area really, yeah, like? Yeah, it's pretty in, early. Yeah. Um, you know, not early by like, you know, I mean, some people have lived there their whole life and we've had, you know, generations of people living in that neighborhood. So I don't want to like, not special, but like in the grand scheme of like people returning to the, City 07 would have yeah. been fairly early for Gateway. But there weren't like brand new, big kind of no. to the lot line McMansions yeah, yeah. there yet. No, I mean, the yeah. the renewal and redevelopment of the city was really early on. Yeah. And yeah. The Plaza District, it was nothing. If, yeah. Lyric had moved there. Um, some of the early kind of independent retailers like Collected Thread and yeah, DNA Galleries say, yeah. um, had just started opening there. Um, Cafe Vogue was doing coffee catering out of 1708. There were just, it was like, in a lot of ways, it was, it was that first wave of really pioneering creative types um, that those are the people consistently and I don't fancy myself to be among them, but like that's the group of people that like make place, right. Is people talk about it kind of sociologically all the time. It's like you have young artists and creatives and entrepreneurs that move into kind of this, these gritty raw, you know, affordable, you know, urban contexts and they begin to do what they do and they make culture. Right. So then all of a sudden, you know, where there was no culture, there's now culture and that has appeal and attraction and it attracts attention and energy in good ways and in bad. Cause the thing that is sad is oftentimes that kind of creative pioneering entrepreneurial type person, you know, they get either forced out, or, they price themselves out on the market. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now that it's such a cool, hip place yeah. to be. And it's sad. Like, I know I know none of the people that I mentioned earlier, they did not say this, but I know people who think the Plaza District has been ruined. Oh. Right? Yes. Um, and it's the, that's the tension of, I think, a growing city is how do you grow and develop consciously mm -hmm. and sustainably? And I think it's not that any that anybody's done anything wrong or that there's malice. Cause it's like, how can you look at the Plaza district and go, I mean, 
to think about what it was 20 years ago and what it is today. And it's like people have sacrificed and invested and spent a lot of money and risked a lot and all of those kinds of things. But it's like, I think it's important in a growing city to kind of say like, how do we grow and develop consciously and thoughtfully Mickey Clagg, who I have just the utmost respect for at Midtown Renaissance. I don't know if there's a single person who perhaps has done more, done more in my mind um, for kind of the renewal and the redevelopment of Oklahoma city than, than he and now Chris Fleming and just an, a, a second generation of people and the way that the way that they go about doing what they do. And Mickey always said that there's a difference between what he calls um, patient money and cataclysmic money. Right? Oh, wow. And I think they've modeled that really well because they have, you know, there's no end to their resources available to them. Like they can buy what they want, build what they want, rehab what they want, but they don't paint with a broad stroke at all. They're very selective and like it's very sequenced and it's slow and it's patient and it's, you know, it's not just like overnight. Mm -hmm. Midtown is Midtown, right? I mean, like it's got a very slow, methodical pace to it. And I think those are the things that make it sustainable where you're mindful of why we do what we do, who we do, what we do with, you know, like. So did that relationship make you want to choose Midtown for a common place? It totally did. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm mean, thinking like you, you know, moved to Gatewood. So yeah. in my mind, I'm thinking, why not Plaza? Yeah, but so I, I did think like it, Gatewood, Mesta, Heritage. Yeah. So I've been right there for a dozen years. Okay. Um, but it's, you're exactly right. Like I wanted Mickey Clagg to be my landlord. I think that's so true for so many people we talk to about their businesses in Oklahoma City. It's like... I mean, because you you would have been just as successful had you gone probably Automobile Alley or Plaza or a lot of different places. But it's like these relationships that you build with certain people, it makes you want to support them and then they support you back. For sure. This is a I mean, here's like a a credit to, again, why I why I respect Mickey in so many regards is so as we were fleshing out like where do we want to put a bookstore right we started with and this is just a philosophy of life that i have is like i it's first who then what yeah like in everything it's first who then what like to me the what doesn't matter and that's what i realized about just my own kind of life path is like that i did church work or nonprofit work or now small business and within small business whether it was bookstores or retail or cafes or grocery stores or whatever, like the, what isn't really the point? Like it's first who that then what? Um, and then to me, I think this the secondary question is like, and then who are you going to serve with what you're doing? Right. So for me, it was like when we started flushing out, like where do we want to put a bookstore? We landed on Midtown because we felt like, it was, and again, back to context, we felt like it was the most diverse and uh, mature of the districts, that it didn't represent a single subculture, yeah. um, that there was a cross-section of young and old, creatives, professionals, people who had lived there a long time, people who are kind of newly returning or first-timers to Oklahoma City. And it just felt like there was an actual fabric of a neighborhood Um, 
in the making that a books laying a bookstore over the top of that really it it, it just it was kind of like a missing knuckle right like it just was like something that if we would add this bookstore into this already you know forming neighborhood that again it would be cataclysm it would be catalytic rather right and it would be it would have influence beyond the fact that it's just a little bookstore it's like what could it help accomplish and so again i wanted mickey to be our landlord and he was one of the very first people that we started talking about commonplace even before it had a name um with and again why i part another reason why i respect him so much is he and chris were showing us spaces and mickey finally looked at us one day and he said i don't think we have the right space for you so again, talk about turning like a tenant landlord model on its head where most property owners are just content to get a rent check, they've, right? It's like, be happy to hook you up and let you start paying rent. But Mickey said, I don't think we have the right space for you, but I want to help keep you in the neighborhood. Oh, that's so right. Nice. So yeah. then he like called he, his people. He, he went to work people. on behalf of not only us and our bookstore concept, but more importantly, he went on he went to work on behalf of his neighborhood. Right. Yeah. And so he, his commitment was first of all, to the district as a whole, you know, it wasn't a self interest, you know, move for him. It wasn't about, can we get you in our space? It was, can we keep you in the neighborhood? Um, and but ultimately so he realizes that does benefit him. Absolutely. Right? Benefits what he's been trying to build for. Yeah. So it's, it's years. taking the, 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 the wide long, you know, the wide long view. So you opened Commonplace in 2017? Yeah, we opened in a in pop-up fashion. That's right. Small Business right. Saturday 2016. Oh, 2016. Yeah. Okay. So and that then, was, no you know, late November yeah. 2016. And again, to kind of connect it back to Mickey is like, they had this old space nobody was using. And I said, can we pop up in it? And so for a few months, we paid no rent and... We popped up, you know, That's in this, what in a this great little opportunity space. To figure it out yeah. Though, and and I recommend no it to like right. every retailer is like, or, you know, aspiring retailers like pop up, like pop up first. You, you like don't it. even know if you like it. Like right. there's a sensibility and a disposition that I think you have to have in retail where it's like, <laughs> do you enjoy the exchange? Like, yeah, do you enjoy holding court in the same space like day after day and whoever walks through the door, that's what you're going to do next. Right. And so a lot of people like I've encouraged them to pop up and they do it and they're like, oh, I actually don't like standing in one place all day long and having to be kind of emotionally and intellectually on and engaging and you know you have to be especially intellectually on yeah, yeah well mine I'm isn't quite intellectual i'm just a dummy yeah let me ask you a really quick question though how did you settle on a bookstore was it that you loved books was it that you a wanted a combination to do of things yeah it, a combination of things so i you know to kind of close the loop a little bit like i wasn't a particularly studious kid i wasn't the nose in the book type but at 23, I read a little book um, by a guy named Tim Sanders, and he was an early Yahoo executive. And 
it was the first time I ever knew what I wanted to be about in life because he said, everybody has three things to offer the world, your knowledge, your network, and your compassion. And I remember going like that, that's what I want to do with my life is like accrue knowledge, give it away, like share my compassion, right? Share my, my relationships. Um, that's like literally what we're trying to do with this. Yeah. And, <laughs> like, and where I felt yeah. like why I became a reader is because I felt deficient in terms of knowledge. Like I was 23, like I, you know, I hadn't set like, you know, a real clear path educationally, like all of those sorts of things. And I just remember feeling deficient there. And it was like, I kind of had this like unofficial, like mantra in my head of like, I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I want to know the most. Right. So I just set out to start like accruing knowledge and the way that I did that was through books. And so I just kind of read kind of this wide and varied, you know, Where did you get your matter. books when you were 23? Um, How did you... Did you get them on Amazon or did no, you try to search No, hell, did local? Amazon even exist then? I don't know. Maybe it did. Um, but no, I, yeah, I think it, it was did. a combination back in the day of, um, I remember falling asleep in the big comfy chairs in Barnes and Noble because um, I would sit there and, re, you know, read through um, my early, in my early twenties. And of course, full circle is an institution in this town. Did and you work there? Yeah. It's also a part of our story. Okay, so I worked at route 66. Yeah. And I think I remember yeah. you working there. So again, yeah. why relationships I think are everything is when a group, when the, when the, when our little group came together and we were going to start commonplace, like you would be a fool to start a bookstore in this town and not go seek out Mr. Jim Tolbert. Right. I who, love Jim Tolbert. Right. Who <laughs> yeah. he bought full circle in 1977. Wow. Um, and so I sought him out and began number one. I asked him, do you want to participate with us? Right. Like, cause at that point it wasn't about like a brand or a name or that it, um, that it was an original idea. Right. Like, and that's something that I think is it, interesting maybe about me and certainly important to me, you know, from an intrinsic motivation standpoint is like the originality of the idea is not important to me. But what I do know about myself is I have maybe a unique ability to bring an idea to, to, to fruition, whether it's mine or yours or ours, right? Like that is, there's nothing original, original about a bookstore. Right. But to me, it was like, Again, I'll get back to Mr. Tolbert. I have like three thoughts happening at once here. No, it's okay. But, um, <laughs> so why a bookstore is for years, again, because I understood context in my neighborhood is for years, like just part of the public discourse was we need a bookstore. We need a bookstore. We need a bookstore. And so sitting around the coffee shops over the last 12 years, you know, that's what I was, he just, I heard that over and over again. And then I remember Lackmire did this kind of unofficial survey where he was like, people said the top three things we need downtown are a grocery store, a bookstore and a pharmacy. Oh, and I remember I have a pharmacy yet. Not today. yet. No. no, no yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember just hearing that for years. And again, back to kind of the originality of the idea is I was never that person who's like, when I grow up, I romanticize about owning a bookstore. Like that was never the thing. I just was a member of my own community, listening, paying attention. And there was an idea that put forth that stuck. 
And I remember the progression for me was like, yeah, we do need a bookstore. And then it was like, after that, it was like, well, I would help somebody do that. And then more time passes and it's like, I could do it. It's like, well, nobody's done it yet. Hell, I guess I'll do it. Right. So then I, you know, so then I initiate it. And then as you initiate the idea, you find that there's a few other people that have a similar idea to see something like that happen. So you go like, well, hell, let's do it together instead of alone. And so that's really what happened. And so I was the one that had kind of pushed pause on, on life. Um, So I kind of took the lead on a lot of, uh, on, on a lot of the formation of commonplace. And so I reached out to Mr. Tolbert and through a series of coffees and lunches um, there in the garden cafe, (laughs) um, you know, I think he realized that I was pretty serious about it. So I first asked him if he would participate with us and how we could have, it could have been a full circle, like a new name, like that wasn't the point. And he was like, well, if it was 20 years, if I was 20 years younger, I'd say yes. <laughs> no. you know. Um, but I kept meeting with him and kept picking his brain about the nature of the business and the industry and all of that. And he looked at me one day and he said, he said, if you're really serious about doing this, why don't you come get your hands dirty here with us? And so I functionally did an apprenticeship at Full Circle on and off for a period of nine months as I'm actively making plans to, you know, on paper, open his first competition. And, you know, but I think the beautiful thing about this town and the relationships is like there isn't a competitive there isn't a competitive spirit. There's very much a collaborative one. And there's a sense, whether it's Mr. Tolbert or Mickey Clagg or myself or you two lovely ladies, it's like, it's about like, it's about all of us. It's about the collective whole. It's about like what makes sense, you know, in the context of this community. And it's, it's not about like, it's not about go fight when, right. Um, You know, at all. And I say this a lot, like, you know, because people always ask about Barnes and Noble or Amazon or an, even another independent bookstore, like I've referenced with Full Circle. And I've always said, like, I don't have any competition. And that sounds like a very arrogant statement, like, well, we're just bigger and better. And it's not that at all. I always say, like, I don't have any competition. And the reason I don't have any competition is because I'm not trying to win. I was going to say, because yeah. you're not competing. Right. Yeah. Like and, they might be, but you're not. And if you're not yeah. trying to win, what it does is it frees you up to actually create something completely other than, right? Because you're not responding to competition or market analysis or trying to get in the head of a consumer. And like, you're just not playing that game, right? Like, if you're, so if you're not trying to win, you create something completely other than, which then actually differentiates you in such a way. I was going to say, so you like your categories, the layout of the store, was that kind of a direct... Yeah, it was product of that mindset, I guess. I think it was like, you know, I'll back up one step and say, like, to me, like, yes, I love books and I fell in love with them. But to me, there was a strategic nature to the bookstore. Right. So a bookstore was I, I, I identified it. So I used to identify what's, what are the most pressing social issues. Right. And then I would tackle those and figure out a strategy by which we can collectively tackle a social issue. 
So this was an interesting one. So it's like in terms of placemaking and building a community and actually like strengthening the fabric of a neighborhood and making Midtown a place that's more than just, you know, food and beer. But I, the way I think about it is how do you make, how does a, how does a place become a place that you can actually dwell? Right. And I think there's a difference between living somewhere, sleeping somewhere, eating somewhere, drinking somewhere and actually being able to dwell there. Right. So where you can have like a holistic lifestyle and you can conduct the regular ordinary business of your day. And it's more than just entertainment. Right. A place where you can build relationships yourself and start the process all over. Totally. So like. Bookstore was like people were asking for it. So. Again, there are certain kinds of people in the world that I think are just prone to advance an idea. And me and my buddies like just took an idea that wasn't original to us. And we just advanced the idea for the good of everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was a sense of kind of, well, we'll do this like kind of for you and with you. Right. It's not really about us. So the bookstore to me is like it's strategic in nature because it's one of the very few places where people are encouraged and welcomed and invited to be without an expectation of purchase. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's like one of the true kind of third, third spaces we have. Right. But so when did you like, I understand there isn't that expectation of purchase, but obviously people do purchase. Yeah. So when did you kind of know like this business is working we're, we're really, we're the need, the need is being met and like, but not only that, but we're doing something that I don't know, just like that feeling of like, okay, we're doing it. Yeah. So I kind of moved from zero to 60. Right. (laughs) So it was, we got serious about the idea. Um, I started apprenticing with Mr. Tolbert at full circle. Um, We were trying to advance the idea, raise money, find a space, all of those things. And I remember it was in August and I looked at my buddies and I said, I'm quitting my jobs, like pushing all the chips in, going all in to make commonplace a reality. Uh, Might've been September actually. And, uh, and I said, and I drew a line in the sand and it was just an artificial line in the sand. Nobody is making us, but it was like, it's like, I want to open a pop-up on small business Saturday. So that'd have been two months later. And it was like, and if we can't figure out how to find a space, learn enough about this industry and raise enough money to open up a pop-up in 60 days, like, why do we think we can do that times 10, you know, in six months? So it's like, I love operating like that is just creating an artificial deadline that you have to work up against. Otherwise, otherwise, again, for me, I'm enough of a visionary theorist where things will just live in the ether of my brain and I get enough satisfaction about pontificating about things, you know, than actually seeing them done. So like, I love an artificial deadline. I always create I need a one. deadline. Emmy yeah. gave me a deadline for Action City and that I was did. really helpful. She did. And, <laughs> yeah. and we, we got here. Right. I could have thought about it for another you yeah. know, six years. Yeah. Exactly. So we just kind of went all in. And and I think to your to your point is um, we did try to reimagine the bookstore experience, you know, for a new generation Um, and to have an experience 
um, at the forefront of what we were trying to create. So it was as much about the space and the environment and how we wanted to use that space and environment as it was the actual product mix itself. Now, of course, from a business perspective, like you got to curate a great selection and you got to do all the things like we are a for-profit, you know, entity that needs to, needs to sustain itself. But at the fore was really about an experience that we wanted to create for and with people. And we felt like the bookstore was just uniquely strategic to do that. So the way I kind of say that in a more succinct fashion is like books are a powerful medium to connect people to one another and spread ideas that matter. Right. So yeah. like that's at the core of commonplace. And I think what you guys have done over the years that I've really enjoyed watching and participating in is unique events that really could only take place at commonplace. So, you know, the acoustic guitarist on Friday night or the book launch where the author comes and speaks or facilitating a conversation about an important topic in our city, reading the kids on Saturdays, all of those, those events are layered on top of the books and what gets people to sort of dwell in that space. You nailed, you nailed it. And it's, there was, there's nothing gimmicky about it. There's nothing that it's, it's purely authentic to you. And that I think is what, well, that's what what I said. If, if, if I have a strength at all is like, I have pretty good instincts um, and intuition and, what I sensed with commonplace was if I'll do what is natural and intuitive to me, it will be natural and intuitive for others. Right. So it is thoroughly authentic, right. To me, which is, is it has, but I think what's interesting is you have to settle on the fact that like, if you're going to do something that's authentic to you, there are limitations to that because it won't be authentic for everybody. Right. And if it's if it resonates with you, it will resonate with some, but not all. So I think it's important, like whether it's regardless of the endeavor is to settle on the fact of like this isn't for everybody. And it's like and that's okay. Not everything. I think it's the only way. Right. Because if it's for everybody, it's for no one. Right. Right. And I think we just settled on the fact that like this will make sense for some. But for others, it doesn't make sense. And they appreciate a more kind of institutional approach to organizing books and a more kind of charming, you know, old feel kind of bookstore. They prefer the library or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, it's not for everybody. And it doesn't mean that all aren't welcome. Right. But it's not going to be an intuitive experience for everybody. But for those whom it is, it is deeply and profoundly meaningful to them. And that's what I think is so special about commonplace is like we offered our humanity to the world. Like that's all we do really is we just put our humanity out there. And if somebody is kind of ready, willing and able to like meet us in that place and extend their humanity to us, you know, in return, it's like, that's where really special things um, occur. And so we thought really long and hard about how do we ergur yeah, is just, I mean, books can be a very personal thing totally. too. So it's, and I, I don't, that to me is very connected. So Oklahoma city 
10 years from now in you 10 years from now like what do you see and maybe commonplace 10 years from yeah now. And commonplace yeah. what do you we couldn't have what really where this question came from is when i moved home in 2004 i could never have predicted where oklahoma city is now i hoped and i wished yeah. for a city that we live in now and it's taken a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of dedication from a lot of people to yeah. get to where we are now what if we put that same love time, money, dedication in the next 10, 15 years, yeah. where will we be? I think maybe I'll connect my response to my own journey a little bit is when I used to describe my life mission, I described it like this is to help make Oklahoma city a better, more equitable and just place to live for all people. Like that was my life goal. Wait, when did, what year did you say that? 2006. Wow. And it's, I mean, like today, like literally yeah. today, that is, so that was the goal is like to make yeah. it a better, more equitable and just place to live for all people. Um, and I would say it is that, and it isn't that right. Yeah. And I think that's the, the tension that we have to live in. And I don't, I don't, I don't use the word tension negatively. Like to me, tension is a very positive thing mm -hmm. um, because what tension does is to me, it, it, it pulls you open. It doesn't rip you apart. Now, if you resist tension, you get ripped apart, but if you will kind of give into it and lean into it and let it have its way, right. Is tension can open us up. And it can enlarge us to experience more and better. Right. And so I think to me, that's my, I think my hope for Oklahoma city is that we would keep learning how to live in the tension of who we've been in the past. Right. And deal honestly and squarely with our shortcomings and our failures and our inconsistencies and, be honest with like, you know, is everybody flourishing as a result of the renewal that's taking place in certain places? Right. So it's like, how can everyone flourish? Right. I think is, a, is an important question um, to people who have influence and power. I think the question is who is flourishing because you have influence and power, right? I think that's important question for us to, to, to wrestle with. So to me, it's like, let's live in the tension of who we were, who we are and, and who we, and who we can become. And I think my own kind of personal path in all of that is, you know, I used to articulate my life mission kind of in this kind of grandiose you know, fashion, how do we make Oklahoma city a better, more equitable and just place to live for all people. And now the way I describe my life mission, it's like, it's still the same, but it's, I think hopefully more mature, more grounded, um, more human and maybe more simple. Okay. So we all agree. We love this place and we, I love to show this place off to my friends who aren't from here. Mm -hmm. So you have, a friend from out of town that springs a visit on you at the last minute. Oh, you gosh. Pick him up at the airport. And let's assume we are not in a COVID world. Okay. Yeah. The world is your oyster. You pick them up at the airport. Where do you go first? How do you spend your day? What do you show them? That's a great question. 
I think of, you know, elemental, Yeah, you know, um, walking in there. And again, it's, it's as much about the people as the place. Right. Um, I miss the old bar at Ludovine. Anybody else oh, miss the old bar at Ludovine? I did like the, how it was I like in about the other the, room. I that think about room. yeah, mm-hmm. like the bar at Ludovine. I had was, young uh, kids then and it was yeah. too far away from my house. Yeah. So I think about the bar at Ludovine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a sucker for the chicken fajita salad of 1492. I love 1492. Right? I, love, I love the I white love queso that. at 1492. Yeah, right. That's like so our neighborhood about, Mexican spot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think yeah. about 1492. Um thinking about Edmund places like we hang out at Othello's probably once a week, which is fun. Yeah. It's like most young people who live in Edmund are like, what the hell are you doing there? I'm like, go. I don't know if you're young people in Edmund anymore. You might be middle aged. Oh yeah. That is, (laughs) sorry about that, Ben. No, (laughs) I'm not young people. You're (laughs) right. We think we are. I'm not. Yeah. I have. Emmy's still young. You are. Um, Young people do. Yeah, I think about Othello's and Evoke um, in downtown Edmond. That's a fun thing about um, being in Edmond right now is watching people kind of re-explore their own kind of city for the first time in a long time. So I didn't answer your question. Very no, you well, don't. Because it's, it's like, what about commonplace? You're, yeah, you're, for sure. You're going to take people there. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. yeah. So Ben, where can people find you? Um. Instagram's probably the easiest thing. So the bookstore's commonplace books Edmund. So you can find all things book there, books there. Um, you know, you'll find an occasional rant, I guess, on my own <laughs> Instagram page, uh, at Ben Knuckles as well. But um And they can it, find you at the bookstore. Yeah, I'm hanging out at the bookstore right? with Boz through the week. <sighs> If you haven't and been in his dog. dog, what type of dog is Boz? He's a Pyrenees Lab mix. Oh, he's um, the sweetest, big, white, yeah. fluffy. He's beautiful. Yeah. He's brought a lot of joy to a lot of people. He ha- How old is Boz? He's like six or six and a half. He is? Oh, he yeah. still so, has so yeah. many years yeah. ahead of him. Well, good. Yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much for yeah, coming. Yeah, this was fun. Ben. Yeah, I we so it. appreciate you. Thank you very much. I always feel so inspired after I talk mm, to you. You're kind. I'm going to go out and conquer the world now. Thanks for your friendship. That's the most well, important part. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate your listening to these stories. You can find us on Instagram at ActionCityOKC or for business inquiries, email us at hello at ActionCityOKC.com. Action City is produced by Blacken Studios. You can find the studio on Instagram and Facebook at Blacken Studios. Creative services provided by Ranger Creative. Music written and performed by Kansas City Bankroll. 